This is the Detection at Scale podcast, a new show designed to help security practitioners succeed at managing and responding to threats at a modern cloud scale. As the volume of data increases and the attack surface expands, it's never been more important to stay ahead of the curve. Each episode will feature interviews with leading security practitioners, thought leaders, and company founders who are building the next generation of security tools. I'm your host, Jack Naglieri, founder and CEO of Panther Labs. Now let's get into today's show. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Detection at Scale podcast. My name is Jack, and today I'm here with Aaron Zalman, who is the CISO at Cedar. Prior to Cedar, Aaron spent time in security at companies like Bridgewater, Palantir, and MUFG Bank. And Aaron, really excited to have you on the show today. Welcome. Thanks. Uh, excited to be here. So tell us how you got your start in security. Sure. So I've always been interested in security. It's something I was doing in high school. Started sort of stacking modems in the back room of uh, an internet service provider in the town I grew up in. And so it's just been something that's been kind of a part of my professional career sort of forever, 25 years at this point. Spent some time doing offense for a while. After I left the federal government, kind of wanted to do security startups, learned that I was not very good at it and decided to go into defense full-time. So that's what I've been doing kind of ever since. I've been in large organizations that have like harder security problems, like banks and hedge funds, and moved to Cedar recently, which was a smaller one. So I could go back and get the experience and fast-moving nature of startups, but uh, still have a security problem that really matters. I'm really curious about your time in the federal government. So, I mean, that shift from public sector to private sector is really fascinating. Like, What's something that you took away from that time that really helped in that transition to the private sector? Well, I think it's really kind of the breadth of the problem, right? Like security is kind of like an infinitely broad and deep field. You can go kind of as deep as you want into any piece of it. And so when I was working for the government, sort of like deeply exposed to like vulnerabilities and how they're found and crafted, but also deeply exposed to like network defense and all of the different ways that you have to collect network data, process it and understand it. Uh, if you want to be kind of an effective defender. So I was able to go kind of really deep in a couple different areas, which has sort of served me well. Though I would say that, as my time doing this has evolved, like those two areas are not even close to everything. And what I really found enjoyable as a CISO is just to learn about everything else that's going on, everything in product security, everything in sort of how you think about asset management and just how you communicate, even compliance is a something that I found interesting that I never would have thought I would find interesting back in the day. Wow, you find compliance interesting. That's amazing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people say that a lot, right? And without going too deep into it, right? Compliance is a data and a communications problem, right? It is important to create trust with your counterparties. And that's as important inside your organization, right? With the engineering or business orgs that you're trying to secure as it is with your customers and partners. And so if you stop and think about compliance as a common language and a framework for communicating about what you're doing and why, and then understand sort of the language that auditors use, it's actually just another puzzle. And so, yeah, I will go on record as saying that compliance can be interesting. And like a lot of the rest of the security industry, it also can be, you know, overwrought and focused on small things at the expense of the big problems, but uh, mm. it doesn't have to be. That's kind of an interesting segue into a question I was really curious about. So you've been in security a really long time. You worked on tooling, just having an extensive track record. So 
How have you seen security tools evolve over that time? Like, have things gotten better? Have they gotten worse? What are your thoughts there? I think they are getting better. And so I think, you know, for a long time, security tools were just the agent that you installed on your box and tried to prevent things, or worse, the middle box that you installed on your network that tried to take apart every SSL connection and try to prevent things that way. It was like IDS and IPS were really big for a while and agents, and those were the only two ways you could have security tools. And I think that's really started changing. And I give you know a lot of credit to Alex Damos, who gave a Black Hat talk some time ago, kind of when he was at Yahoo, talking about how middle boxes and agents are basically dead. And since then, we've really seen an explosion in tools that sit at different parts of the network. So maybe they're just trying to do database security and they're doing it more effectively. Or maybe, yes, they're agents, but they're much more configurable and centrally manageable and extensible like OS Query. So those vendors who are leaning into that change, who are creating a partnership that recognizes they don't have to stop all breaches, but that they're really about enabling you to understand your business better and create the right balance that is right for you and your organization are the ones that I'm particularly excited to work with. And I think that's especially important for this newer security engineering persona, right? We as defenders, we all know that our environments are so unique. So being able to partner with a vendor and both have the functionality to change things to make it tailored to your environment, I think are super important. I'm kind of curious about something else, which is your background is also very much in the realm of like building tools and engineering and operations. So how did that really contribute to your security mindset? Yeah, I mean, I think part of it's that the thing that every engineer has is impatience and a desire never to solve the same problem twice. And so I think that's been a big part of it. And as well as sort of digging into the puzzles that each organization has that are unique and special to that organization. So if you think about a company like Bridgewater, right, the risk profile is very different than a company like Cedar. Bridgewater is all about its corporate network and its own IP, whereas, you know, Cedar's software is not the core of its security problem. Cedar's security problem is at its core the health data and and the financial data that patients and healthcare providers have trusted us with. And so the approach we have to take is very different, but the tools to you know monitor systems, monitor networks, monitor data, monitor users, they're operating on the same primitives, but they're doing it in completely different ways. Yeah, the intention of the data is different. Exactly. The intention of the data, the place you draw the line, where you want to prevent at all costs, where you're willing to be a little bit resilient in terms of what you detect and how you respond to it. They're just very different for the different organizations. So having been able to see that and sort of, you know, kind of see different places to put the abstractions that you want to you want to put into put into practice. And at Cedar, I mean, Cedar is a very modern company. I mean, it was founded when in the last like five ish years, longer? six years, six, six years. years old at this point. Uh, uh, and yeah, so pure SaaS. You know, there was never a notion of a corporate network. In fact, one of my selling points when I try and bring people onto the security team is I tell them, like, you will, we have never had an active directory plant and you will never have to maintain an active directory plant. So that's an advantage of being a modern company for sure. And then I assume that really influenced the way that you build your security team. Can you talk about that? 
Yeah. So to me, I think the best way to think about structuring the security problem is a Sunil Yu has this concept called the cyber defense matrix. He actually just published a book about it. And it says, you know, there's five activities you're trying to do, right? The classic NIST ones, identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. But um, what he does is he says each of those five activities is going to have a different way of approaching it for different kinds of assets. It's going to be different for data, for users, for infrastructure, networking, for systems, and for how you protect applications. And so as we put together our security program, we've kind of tried to find areas within that that cluster. So, you know, when we started, there were just a handful of us kind of doing everything, but we knew that for companies like ours, the biggest risk is going to be those software vulnerabilities, cloud misconfigurations. And so we focused on kind of getting those foundations in place. As we've grown, it's been about, you know, expanding coverage, making sure that we can do things more efficiently, making sure that, you know, aspects of our compliance are never in doubt um, because we're, we're constantly being audited and leaning into all the different kinds of ways that people who join our security team want to specialize. So these days we have half the teams are focused on more operational stuff. So data coming into our SIM tracking alerts, scanning our environment, questions that are coming from others, and about half the team is now focused on ways to improve our products. So what you know, fundamental tools are going to make it easier for people to develop, staying on top of what client expectations are and what features are going to be coming over the next quarters to sort of get involved in the design and response of those things early. How much has the team grown in the time you've been there? I mean, I guess you started as a team of one, right? <laughs> And then now, yeah, I started as a team of one, uh, really a half. Though I will say, sort of prior to me, I have to give credit to our platform team that built a lot of great core things into our systems that we rely on, core controls that we rely on today, as well as flexible BizOps folks who got us through some of our first compliance initiatives. So I was able to come in to a place that had a lot of the basics in place, and, and that made life considerably easier. And so we've grown significantly from then. We're still well under a dozen people full-time on security, but I do think we, we punch about our weight classes here. It's also really interesting to think about the journey of Cedar itself, going from a small company six years ago to you know, raising, I think it was your last round was 100 million, or did you guys have another after that? We did have a very big round last year. And then shortly after raising the round, we also acquired a company called Uda Health, which also presents fun challenges for a security team of combining cloud environments, combining end-user expectations, and keeping all of the systems from two underlying companies maintained while you're sort of figuring out how the two organizations are going to merge. So yeah, it's gone very rapidly from you know only having to think about protecting the Postgres database and the data it can't contains to a much more complex environment multiple products and, and multiple kinds of people and, and the different workflows and threats that those present. And I think a very natural way to do that is to evolve into this like security engineers mindset. So when do you think you really found that idea of, you know, we're going to use software or DevOps oriented principles like infrastructure as code to do security? Like where did that come from and how did you sort of apply that? I mean, I think it's something that I wanted to put in place, you know, when joining Cedar. You know, I kind of had seen at some of the previous companies and legacy infrastructure how hard it is to add that after the fact when you have a data center, when you have a Microsoft environment that's been around for 15 years, 
it's very difficult to take these concepts and and grow them. And so, you know, Bridgewater had uh, been on a project that was actually standing up an entire new building. We were able to bake some of those concepts in from the beginning. And so when I came to see her, that was always going to be very important to me. You know, we know that the company is going to grow. We know that we can't do a lot of manual response. We don't know exactly the ways that it's going to grow. And so we knew that we had to rely on the people around us to be our emissaries in our hands and securing the environment. And so for me, as sort of the only security person for a while, if I want everyone else to sort of respect me as a security professional and be able to understand and take action on my advice, I have to work in the same tools as they do. I have to use the same CICD infrastructure. I have to show that we can have respect for what needs to happen at AWS, that we're not just throwing requirements over the wall, but that we're thinking through all of the different ways to get creative with what we're trying to do to protect the environment, but also what we're trying to do to enable them to solve the actual business problems. So I don't know that there's been a particular insight point that led us to do that. It's just been sort of very clear to me that if we need to operate with an organization that will always outnumber us, you know, 50 or 100 to 1, the only way to do that is through technologies that scale. And so it's not just infrastructure as code and detections as code and scripts for responding to things and, you know, scripts for collecting evidence for compliance purposes. It's also being sort of explicit in what processes we use to work with the rest of the business. So one of the things that I always tell my team is like writing is thinking, you know, write down what we're trying to do, review design docs from others, also writing good design docs yourself is a way of scaling, writing good standards, saying, you know, this is what we call a red system. A red system is a system that's going to have users' health data in it. These are all of the standards and expectations we expect red systems to adhere to. And it's not just a document. It's also a guide of, yes, we want you to have logs, but also if you use the following services within the AWS environment, you are also going to automatically get those logs sort of flowing into our system for free. And so being able to scale from sort of the story that everyone says is like, oh, you know, shifting left, you want to own the entire software development lifecycle. Well, yeah, like that starts with writing, but it also follows through with tools and detections. And at the end of the day, sort of going back to the other teams that are your customers internally and saying, like, here's what we've learned. We as security have a unique skill set and access to ground truth that doesn't always tell us why something is happening in the plant, but it does tell us something interesting that we can use to sort of create a shared understanding of what's happening and how we need to secure it. I think the writing is thinking is such an awesome quote. It's super true. It's not only just a way of clarifying your ideas, but you can teach others. You can have a history of things that happened. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like why we love using detections as code. It's the same idea, right? You want to write it exactly. Out, like, hey, this yeah. is the idea of the thing I want to detect. I want to detect anytime touches one of our like red systems. I don't want to know all the context and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, exactly. Who did it? Why? What service? What fields? And so on. Yeah. It is not my quote. I don't know who first said it. But, you know, because I believe in rigorously citing my sources, uh, Steven Sanofsky, who is a Microsoft person, has a really great blog post with that as its title. So I 
put that on your to read queue. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that this idea of writing out proposals, documents, standards, was that a reaction to something? Or was that just more of, you know, I want to be prepared for scale? For me, I just think it's how I think. And I know that it's not how everyone thinks. I know that different people, some of my colleagues have work styles where they really prefer to sort of sit in a room and talk through problems. They prefer to whiteboard. I will say that my time at Cedar has coincided with COVID. And that thing, getting in a room and doing whiteboarding, has obviously gotten considerably harder. I think there are no more than two people on my security team in any one city in the United States right now. And so it's very hard for us to do in-person whiteboarding. And so I've definitely seen that as the company has scaled, that focus on writing and thinking has only become more important as a way of getting your ideas, the feedback, the engagement, and the implementation of others. You know, I wonder how much of the burnout in industry just in general got worse with COVID because in a response scenario, for example, where you'd like be physically in a like a room together, like a war room, I feel like in someone's home where you're basically just grinding on this investigation, I feel like people probably did that even more intense because there was less like work-life separation. Did you experience yeah. something like that with that shift in the pandemic? I have seen it certainly been true for me, you know, personally, right? I also had a kid during the pandemic. And so that means that, you know, grinding hard right up until the end of the day, and then I walk out of my office and play with my child for the next couple hours until we give him his dinner and put him to bed. And and so there isn't sort of the break, the transition, you know, the opportunity to step back and reflect unless you explicitly make space for it. And so I don't have good answers for that yet. You know, I like to stop back on a step back on a quarterly basis and have everyone on the team sort of look back at what we've done, you know, reflect, set goals for the next quarter, because kind of it's easy to get lost in the day to day and not sort of see the incremental progress if you don't sort of stop, reflect, take a break. But I would agree it has been tough. It is still tough find the balance and the the ways to get the space that you need to recharge and think more broadly about problems. How often do you see your team in person? So we have only done one full team get together since COVID started. You know, hope to do another one in the next couple of months, but it's been tough, right? It's kind of between various waves of COVID and just difficulty traveling. So uh, it is tough to get everyone in one place. I would it, highly recommend it for one <laughs> At least your security team, you know, maybe not the whole company, but. Yeah, definitely looking to do it more often now that uh, things have abated a little bit and Cedar's uh, brand new headquarters office has opened uh, as it did earlier today. I'm sure that feels good. Leave the house. Uh, (laughs) It feels great. It feels fantastic to see a bunch of people that, you know, normally you see as a Zoom box that makes conversations about vulnerability management, conversations about architecture much easier to have. I think, you know, one of the challenges will still be making sure that everyone else feels included. So we'll see how that goes over the coming months as we have to sort of relearn what it means to operate in a, in a hybrid sense. Yeah, it's fascinating. We just had a meetup and it was super mind-blowing. But more importantly, I think the bonds that you create in person with people really continue to carry when you go back to Zoom. And I think that's something that if you do it periodically, you can retain that energy and you can retain that camaraderie and really understand like a little bit more about who that person is, what they're going through every day. Like the fact that you told me like, you know, 
I had a kid during COVID and, you know, it was just like really intense. And, you know, like yeah. that type of empathy helps when you're in a high stress environment, like insecurity. Uh, for sure. I mean, and I know that's true, right? Like my time and security has been helped immeasurably by the in-person meetups and conferences and communities, you know, Slack or otherwise that I've been a part of out in the security community as a whole. And so uh, it's obviously important that I need to find ways to do uh, something similar for my colleagues uh, in the office. Let's talk a little bit more about the community side of security because it's something that you're very involved in. So you started organizing this conference, uh, Forward CloudSec, which is a cloud security conference happening around the time of Reinforce. What inspired you to get involved in this? I, like I said, see, the security community has always been important to me, right? Like my first security event was DEF CON 7, which was like back in 1999. And you know, for the first 10 years, it was go to Vegas or go to like another security conference that might be focused on incident response or go to a bunch of sessions and try to learn what I could. You know, in my 20s, it was try and get to vendor parties. But at some point, kind of what I learned is that it actually is those side conversations where you you learn and have a lot. And so I think for the last, you know, several years, I've really particularly enjoyed small conferences that are sort of sweet spot around 200 to 1000 people. And, you know, the way Forward CloudSec came together was, we all kind of liked that. So we were all at the very first AWS Reinforce, which is about eight to 10,000 people. And was like, well, this is kind of too big, right? It's a, a lot going on, hard to get coverage of it. Most of what you're going to hear is what AWS sort of wants to promote about their products. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like I've been to Google Cloud conferences, you know, there's plenty to learn. But the value for me in that conference was the side conversations. So there was a Slack channel of security practitioners that I think I had gotten invited to from some sort of Twitter post. Scott Piper, who's a fairly well-known cloud security practitioner, uh, was one of the owners of that thing. And I'd learned through that community that Rhino Security Labs was doing a happy hour on the sidelines of Reinforce. So I went and there was about 50 people at that happy hour. And that happy hour was exactly the conversations that I wanted to have. People at organizations of my size and larger, you know, having sort of those unfiltered conversations about what it was going to take to build a scaled cloud program. And we realized that that was a particular instance of the thing that we'd seen in other communities and really wanted to create the way you know, B-Sides had created something on the side of Las Vegas you know, 10 years earlier. The Ray, you know, Gotti Everon had created something called a conference on defense. It was very specifically focused on you know, threat intelligence. That there was just a space for one of those smaller, medium-sized sessions of 200 to 1,000 people focused specifically on independent cloud security practitioners. People have to secure a cloud company but aren't necessarily beholden to any one cloud provider. And so about 10 of us with Scott kind of at the helm got together and organized it. Our first year was three years ago. It was disrupted during COVID, but we still managed to get 20 people doing presentations and about... 750 people on Twitch watching the videos, communicating with Slack. And it's just been great. Like, I can't recommend enough to people you know, the opportunity to write down what you know and submit it as a conference talk. Worst case scenario, if you submit something to us, you'll, you know, you'll get a page of feedback where we'll say, like, sorry, this isn't the right fit for us, but here's why the opportunity to resubmit. So we'll be doing it again our third year at the end of July, 
and hope to announce this year's speakers uh, in about a week, a week and a half. I have uh, some review meetings with the 20 of us on the review panel starting tomorrow. So really excited about what it looks looks to become. Yeah, I'm really excited about it too. This was a, an inadvertent plug of the conference. When, uh, but for those listening, when is the conference? Where is it at? Go somewhere. Uh, it is July 25th in Boston. So if you're going to reinforce, reinforces Tuesday and Wednesday. We'll be on Monday beforehand. We will be releasing another batch of tickets. I want to say on the 13th of June, but the at forward CloudSec FWD CloudSec uh, Twitter account. We'll announce when that happens. I'm really stoked that you guys are doing this conference. I think I totally agree with the idea that to truly get a grasp of how to build in the modern day, you have to talk to other people. And those communities are super important to do that. Yeah. When I was a practitioner around the Bay Area, it was the same thing. I was a part of a few groups that would periodically meet up, talk about breaches that had happened, ways that we're monitoring our production environments and other techniques that I would take back to Yahoo and Airbnb and, you know, or I would give talks at those about, hey, this is how we're doing detection. And I remember when StreamAlert came out, I gave a few of those at like various companies and then in various like, you know, closed off rooms with other practitioners and they were super beneficial. And I learned a ton from those. Yeah. And I think, you know, the thing that stops people from doing it is they feel like they don't have anything interesting to say. And I haven't found that usually to be true, right? Anytime you have a war story, anytime you ran into a problem and overcome it, anytime you discovered something that was special and unique about your environment, but that you think someone else might run into again someday, like those are all great fodder for talks. And it feels like it's going to be hard to get entry into these, you know, quote unquote, secret communities, but I don't think they're secret. It's just that the the coin of the realm is being able to talk honestly and share what you've learned. And conferences are special because you can see in small groups and listen to people and get to know people over a period of time. But, you know, as someone who is a pretty strong introvert myself, having something to talk about uh, makes them considerably more approachable. So I would I would strongly encourage it for just about anyone in this uh, in this field. If someone was going to submit a talk to CloudSec, and I don't know if it's too late, but regardless, if someone was to submit a talk, like what are some good examples of topics that you guys want to see? Well, I am afraid the deadline has passed for this year, but uh, we will do it again next year. And so I'll speak generally. The things that are interesting to us as uh, you know, independent practitioner-focused talk really are going to be you know, war stories, things that are particularly like modern and new. So what's made... Cloud security is such an interesting field over the past five years is how security is always adversarial and and changing, but cloud security especially so. AWS releases new things, new ways to secure things, new practices. People realize that AWS doesn't do everything, and so they have to build Terraform that doesn't just support AWS, but all of the different environments they may be involved in, and not just Google Cloud. Maybe you'll be managing your Okta environment with Terraform as well, like, like we do. And so the things that are interesting, we broke our conference this year into three tracks, cheekily called It's Broken, It's Complicated, and It's All Related, where the It's Broken track is new attacks, things we've seen in the wild. It's Complicated is I ran into this hard problem. Here's what I did to solve it. You don't necessarily need to take my advice, but you might be interested. 
and it's all related is, hey, like, I solved something this way for AWS, but then I found it was really interesting for Google Cloud as well. Or I realized that it, I couldn't just focus on infrastructure. I needed to build tools in a way that used insights from my containers, from my software to manage my infrastructure. And so kind of cheekily, we named our tracks that. Uh, and those are the topics that have been interesting. I think the things that are not necessarily right for us, but which are right for some other conferences, maybe talks focused explicitly on tools. So I built a thing, here's how it works. For us, we really want to focus on the problem more than the tool, as well as sort of one-on-one talks. Again, there are great B-sides around the country that want to talk to people of all levels and security forward cloud sec. It's kind of explicitly focused at sort of the 300 level of people who probably have two, three years of cloud security experience under their belt. And so, you know, the reason we do that is because we want to keep the focus, right? We're looking to try and keep the sweet spot for something that's specific and unique that isn't necessarily covered everywhere else. That's awesome. Thanks, Aaron. That's, I'm just really excited you guys are doing it. I think that a lot of security is very tribal and this is a way to sort of democratize that. And as a former practitioner, that definitely means a lot to me in, in terms of helping other people get better and smarter at security. So really excited for that conference. And, uh, I hope that people listening will either go to the conference or watch videos after the fact and, and read slides and gain that knowledge somehow. And join the Slack and communicate with the presenters because that's why people do it. Mm. It's because they want the feedback. Well, great. This has been awesome, Aaron. To wrap up, I have one final question, which is what are three pieces of actionable advice you'd give to other security leaders today? Well, so the first one we already, I think, touched on, which is writing is thinking because your security team is going to be outnumbered, you have to get good at communicating in different ways. You have to be good at maybe demos, maybe writing, maybe presentations, but you've got to be able to explain what you're going to do, why it's important, and just enough of the how to get people sort of confidence that you know what you're doing and and connect to what they need to do. Second thing is know your user. There's no such thing as too much empathy for the customer problem you're trying to solve. Like you can understand your security problem as deeply as you want, but a lot of the work is in trying to strike a balance and an understanding between no, you can't do this because it's insecure and okay, I guess it's cool that you can do this, right? It's about understanding exactly what they're trying to do to to design what controls, what monitoring, what response is appropriate for a given problem. And then the last piece of advice, again, which we kind of touched on is like, you know, it's dangerous to go alone. Our security team could not solve Cedar security problems alone. The security community has its corners that are tough to get into or have difficult people. But I don't think that's representative of the community as whole. Finding people, finding vendors, partners you can work with, you know, finding your community and and adding value, even if it's like, Posting a new detection to GitHub, submitting a bug fix, adding some documentation, or even just volunteering to help. You know, finding your community is is going to be necessary to stay with this community over the next 25 years. Those are great words of wisdom. Thank you so much. And uh, thanks for the time, Aaron. It was great chatting with you and catching up. Uh, great chatting with you as well, Jack. Thank you for listening to the Detection at Scale podcast brought to you by Panther Labs. For access to the latest episodes, please visit our website at www.runpanther.io forward slash podcast. And for those interested in running Panther, head to our website, runpanther.io, to sign up for a free trial. 
You'll get a dedicated instance with the ability to analyze your security logs in real time at any scale powered by Detections as code and sending into a very robust security data lake. Our goal is to make detection and response easy, scalable, and fast for you, the practitioner. Thanks. See you again next time.